Hey, welcome to season two of the Change Today podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Akila Kade, founder of Change Today, a diversity consulting firm making sure women, people of color, and underserved communities feel safe and can be their best selves in the workplace. Kade is my last name, and in French, it means soldier. So we talk about how people are soldiers of change, personally or professionally. This season, we have great guests sharing their story with you, and I'm so happy that you've decided to come back and share another season with me. Remember to like and subscribe so that you know when all of the new episodes are coming up, and I really appreciate your support. So let's take it away and enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Change Today podcast. We have another great interview for you. Um, today's fun because I get to talk to a peer, someone in the diversity space as well. And I get to introduce you to Lily Jampool. Hi, Lily. Hi. How are you? I am doing fine considering the circumstances. <laughs> yes, everyone knows we are recording during the... You know, this is an epic pandemic, you know, something that we'll get to tell our, you know, the young kids about if we choose to have kids or not. And like in my day, we there was a time where there was no toilet paper and you had to barter it. Um, <laughs> yep. uh, it is severely affecting my decision whether or not to have children right now. So ask me again. <laughs> I'm, it has done the same for me as well. Um, I don't think you're the only one with that. It's like, hmm, am I ready for all of this? Or do I, do I have money to have an infrastructure in place to do the things I don't want to do? So, oh, so many fun things we're learning um, during this time period. But I would love for you to tell everyone, um, you know, what you do and who you are. Sure. So I consider myself first and foremost an academic. Um, and I appreciate this conversation today in part because you are a fellow academic. And I sometimes forget that identity because... That's right. I'm, I'm talking to a peer that doesn't... You, team Doc. Team Doc over here. Yep. Team Doc. And... <laughs> It's, I don't know, it's, it's, I think identity is not really a fixed thing. I think we kind of vacillate in between different identities. And I forget sometimes that I feel very academic. That's, you know, what I was trained to do. I still very much have an academic mindset about a lot of things, an intense curiosity about things. Um, so I do consider myself a researcher and my official title is head of people science at the Ready Set. And the Ready Set is a diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting firm. So um, I do a lot of the research, sciency, analysis type things, but I'm also a strategist and I'm also a facilitator. So I get to scratch my teaching itch through running workshops too. Uh, so I think it's important for the listeners to know that your um, ooh a triple threat in diversity. Ah. Because you have people who are not, who can't facilitate and also be a researcher and a strategist. Like that doesn't, that combination platter doesn't necessarily happen. You can have someone who's a researcher who's a really good strategist, but they are not good in front of people. Um, just even talking about the data or having a, just a general lecture, but um, to be able to facilitate conversations and understand the room and read the room while applying real time data and strategy is like 
unheard of. I'm just too. Well, I'm not a. Re- I'm a. I'm not a researcher like you. I understand it. I'm like a liaison researcher, but I'm more so strategist and talk your ear off facilitator. Well, I I really appreciate you saying that. I I feel like one of the reasons why I left academia was because I really like the people facing aspect of applied work, mm-hmm. and I was never kind of a behind the scenes person. I actually. I can't focus for long periods of time without social interactions. So I think, um, you know, I liked teaching, but I liked research as well. I wanted to apply it to a context where I could do a lot of both of those things. So mm-hmm. consulting actually works out really well for me. Bring it all together. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do, I miss my, I miss my like pure academic research sometimes. Um, I still have conversations with my old colleagues about research. I'm still publishing papers. Um, and I still, well, before the, quarantine. I used to travel to work with coworkers still on, on research projects. So mm-hmm. I, I do kind of have my dream job in that way that I get to have little bits and pieces of identity in lots of different places. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think this is a good time to ask you, how are you a change today? Like, how are you a soldier of change? And is that for you something that's like in the diversity space or just what is that for you? That's a great question. Um, I'm my academic, my academic hat is already on because I'm going to answer it in like 18 different ways. Because <laughs> <laughs> when you first said that, I think the first thing that came up was, well, the obvious thing is I'm working in diversity, equity, inclusion. So, you know, that's an impactful area. Um, it's something I've always been interested in, but being able to actually work directly with people every day, solving problems that are not just organizational, but also societal feels mm-hmm. really good. And it, in part because it feels like I'm, I'm doing something important. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I first heard you ask that question, I think my mind actually went to more of my personal life changes. Ooh, yay. And um, because I've, I've had a few of them, I think changing careers was a, was a big one for me. As you know, in academia, like the brainwashing is pretty mm-hmm. strong around like you, there's only one pathway for you and everything but, else but, is familiar. Like one pathway for success. <laughs> one pathway for success. Yeah. That's right. And that's, that's only, you know, the professor pathway. Mm-hmm. And I did that. I was on that success pathway and I, I quit it and yeah. everybody thought I was insane because you don't, you don't do that if you get the coveted academic tenure track job. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't happy. So I think my first, you know, element of change cadayness was <laughs> recognizing that I could change and that, that, feels like more of a big deal than I think most people know it was because yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. it was like a full year of having to reconcile my past achievements, like what my trajectory was mm-hmm. and how I had conflated those achievements with happiness um, because I definitely was not feeling happy. Mm-hmm. And I think recognizing that um, I was, I, I feel like I was a brave person and I took a big step that led me down this path to, you know, it's hard work, but yeah. I'm, I'm very happy doing it. But even before that, I think, you know, getting a divorce was like another instance of me doing that same kind of mental calculation of if you're not happy, uh, it's okay if like things didn't work out, um, make a change. So that's, that's really how I would define my change todayness. I love that. I love it for, for so many reasons, because um, when people usually use the word brave, and this is when I become a broken record, you had to work through some fear and 
the fear of how people would view you, the fear of would you lose some colleagues or some peers or some friends, you know, as you made the shift. Because it was similar for me, like when I left the public health world and the healthcare world, you know, I lost some friends, um, which is fine. Like, I'm okay with that. But I also found in the change of how I was starting to show up in the world and how I was living personally and professionally, I had less in common with them. And then I could see how, you know, structurally, systemically, I was being held back and felt less than in that space. Because here I thrive and I shine and I'm amazing and all these, you know, wonderful things. Um, and I also love that you got a divorce. I love people who get divorces. Like, I, I do. And it's because my mom just got married for the third time this year. And um, so she's definitely done the divorce thing. Um, and it wasn't like when my parents divorced, I was like, oh, when I grow up, I'm never going to get a divorce. If I get, you know, if I get married, I'm only going to stay with that person forever. But then as I continue to grow and evolve into myself and really like going full time into uh, change today, I was like, ooh, a divorce sounds wonderful because I'm going to keep growing and evolving. And if this guy doesn't want to grow and evolve with me, I'm out. We'll have a prenup. I'll be fine. You know, like I it just felt really good about that because those are two things where there's that big thing of identity that's tied to it. You know, yeah. being in academia, there's something tied to it. Being married, there's something tied to it. And how you show up into society you know, there's all this stuff that comes from it. Oh, for sure. What society tells you you should be and what you should feel and mm -hmm. puts so much pressure on mm -hmm. people to enact some version, some socially accepted version of themselves. Oh, yeah. And having to unsee yourself from what that standard is, mm -hmm. is I think one of the more challenging parts of growth. Because I, for me, that was definitely like... I. I know, I, I know I've been growing my entire life, but that was a moment where I could feel and see like tangible growth mm -hmm. because the, the decoupling of your own identity from the identity that others have prescribed you is such a visceral, tough thing to do. And there are consequences, you know, and not all of them are great. Like I was in therapy. I'm still in therapy about it. Like I still have PTSD. It's not a fun process. It's kind of like, it feels like a necessary but unfun process to yeah. grow. But now oh, yeah. I feel so much more liberated because mm -hmm. I will, I, I know, first of all, I don't put that kind of pressure on myself anymore. And mm -hmm. I don't put the expectations around relationships on mm -hmm. relationships anymore. And mm -hmm. I discuss everything up front with my partner. And I think like, it's just so much healthier to not, to not abide by whatever version of happiness or success other people decide is what you should have oh yeah no I love all of that I'll, everyone knows I'm in therapy every week um so <laughs> therapy is good for you oh yeah no it's one of my favorite things to yeah. um I need to go back I stopped for a little while um and that's actually on my on my bucket list right now. <laughs> yeah, no, this is a good time. I think sheltering in place is a good time to, yeah. to bring it back up. There's more flexibility, which is, is, is definitely um, nice. But just knowing how you were like, how you talked about just uncoupling and coming up with knowing what your new identity is and then being upfront and then 
the most powerful thing, which I just realized, let's say maybe six months ago, um, these stupid, dumbass, unrealistic expectations that I put on relationships. Mm-hmm. They were holding me back. Like, instead of just communicating what I'm looking for, what I need, and being honest with myself, and also being vulnerable, um, I, it was, it's like, my relationships were awful. They were all awful. But um, I, I made them worse because I was feeling like I was letting myself down by not really being clear with what would work for me or where I would go for some type of compromise to have a relationship. So yep. I totally feel you on that. Um, I think, so this was actually only like probably two months ago because I had done all this work, right? And I was like, oh, I'm so healthy and everything. I have, I don't have unreasonable expectations about relationships. And then I realized that like, I had really strong feelings around marriage. And I got, got to the point where I was like, are my own feelings now like overcorrecting for mm. the other feelings that I had? where like everything about marriage is toxic. And I basically was like talking to my partner who's very much in love with me and how much marriage sucks. And like, you know, we're at people's weddings and I was like, this fucking sucks. Like, I hate this. Why are we here? And he's like, geez, like chill. You know, people just want to express their love to each other. Maybe people just want to have a big party. And I was so, I was like embodying the like bitter ex-wife, you know, divorcee persona. And I was like, wait, this isn't healthy either. Mm-hmm. So, um, just to cut the story short, I am I'm now engaged. Uh, I did the oh, <laughs> I did the proposing like literally a week before we went into quarantine. Congratulations! Thank you. This is very new <laughs> since the last time we talked, and and it was really it was in part because I I literally just had like a weird epiphany moment where I was like, wait a second, I really love this person. I have all these toxic feelings around marriage, but it's not marriage itself that I hate. It's like the societal expectations that I hate, but really like you can make marriage whatever you want it to be. And if you have a partner that you trust and are willing, is Mm -hmm. willing to do that as well, then, you know, like I knew it was important to him to have a big party and invite all of his friends. So I was like, oh my God, why not? Like, actually, if I really don't feel that bad about relationships and and marriages, then I won't be scared to get a divorce, which is exactly what you said. Like, Mm -hmm. There's that other side of it. So anyway, um, I might get a divorce, but I'm also getting married. I So <laughs> I, you know, any guy that's interested, they're like, what are you looking for? I'm like, I'm looking to date, get to know someone. I would like to be in a committed relationship, have a planned or accidental child, um, you know, get married. Um, and I'm open to a divorce. Awesome. You know, so I set that expectation because, again, like you said earlier, when you have clear expectations of what you need right not so not really what the other person wants because that can also be like another like rabbit hole type of thing because you mm-hmm. want to be the person that people the other person wants you to be um then they know when you make that commitment what the potential outcomes can be exactly. right so it's like this is how we should communicate or what's up with you how are you not feeling or actually this isn't serving me right now let's check in why and if this is not serving at all, it's like I'm out, you know. Um, yep. But I just want to rewind a little second. Did you propose? I did. Oh, my God. Tell me about that. Can you please <laughs> tell me about if you feel like sharing? No, totally. I mean, I've proposed in both of my marriages, actually. It's kind of my thing. <laughs> wow. I um, love it. Well, you know, as like a feminist, I, I've just always felt like 
I have to, I have to propose this. Um, but I also, I also think um, in this particular instance, since I'd made such a stink about marriage for so long, mm -hmm. I knew that he wasn't going to propose to me until he was like a hundred percent sure that I was on board. And so my proposal wasn't so much um, a, will you marry me as more of like, I am open to the discussion about marriage. And in fact, I kind of did it like that to you. Mm -hmm. um, but I actually did it in a really cute way. We were um, painting stuff like pots for our for our little patio, and I just like painted on the bottom "Will you marry me?" So when he picked it up from the kiln, that it said that. And um, I was trying not to do it in like a public way, but also he likes romantic gestures, so you know he's a he's kind of out of a rom com. <laughs> he is a rom com. And then we were like, and then I was like, but but I don't want you to say anything now. Like, let's take a week and have like a full, well-rounded discussion about it. <laughs> and then we can decide. And then Ooh, we like the, the romantic researcher you are. Exactly. I was like, <laughs> we're going to run some A-B testing here to see whether this is actually going to work out. And then right. <laughs> once I have some significance in the data, then we can go ahead. <laughs> and so what was it like when you communicated? Obviously it happened. Well, like at first he was really excited and then he got really scared because he was like, well, I just don't know, like given your past history, like what this means and I need to think about it. And like, I was like, totally. And then he was like kind of nervous to say that he wasn't ready, but I was like, no, I want you to not be ready. Like this yeah. is actually like, <laughs> this is the thing we should talk about and like see, you know, whether this is something we actually want to do and what that looks like. Um, and then quarantine happened. So it was like, this is a great trial run of um, a pressure test of what it's like to, you know, be yes. together. Um, and so we gave ourselves, it's, it's a soft, it's a soft engagement right now. Okay. But have you, <laughs> have you told family and friends? Yes, we've told okay. family and friends. I mean, obviously you told this podcast. So this would be funny if I had, this was the first time that right actually um <laughs> hold on a second let me just text a couple of people yeah <laughs> <laughs> no this is this is now like this is like fairly known we haven't told like extensive networks but mm -hmm. it's also like we don't want to get too excited about it because who knows when it's going to actually happen you know I know I know there was a um I, I think a potential client or client I can't remember in the beginning of, you know, the pandemic and they're like, yeah, we're, you know, getting married in like four weeks. And I said, oh yeah, no, you're, you're not. <laughs> like, here's my first strategic <laughs> piece of strategic advice. Yeah, no, yeah. go ahead and get that refund. Um, because now man, it's not gonna happen. Um, <laughs> it's not. So, I mean, that, that makes sense. And in a way you have time together to, Really, lots like, lots of planning time, but to, I mean, because obviously you're having a party. That's obviously, like, yeah. I mean, that's why I'm doing it, really. Totally. But it'll be, depending on your timeline, your party may be, like, 50 people or less because of social distancing rules or, you know, waiting until we're maybe themed masks that people could wear. Oh, yeah. We're going to go, we're going to go all out. It's going to be, I mean, it's not going to be fancy, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be super fun. I think fun is the more important F. Oh yeah. 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 Knowing knowing him, he's gonna he's gonna do most of the planning around <laughs> a lot of the creative aspects. He's a magical creature. So you I'll just leave it are, at that. <laughs> you're you deserve that. 
That is fantastic. I do. I do. Thank you, Akila. I do. And I finally can say that. Yeah. Kind of buts or ifs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I mean, I think, I think that's another important shift to coming out of a unhealthy or toxic relationship, whether it is, um, you know, uh, a relationship or a friendship or a working relationship, giving yourself time to recover you know, also mourn some stuff, be angry, be mad. There's nothing wrong with that. But figuring out what that means moving forward and, you know, how to really, like, be your best self in that dynamic. Yeah, I totally agree. And now it's it's happening. That was was a big, um, that's been a big growth point, too, in terms of, like not blaming or forgiving myself for past decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much guilt and shame that we hold in decisions yeah. in our life, especially around relationships. And mm-hmm. it's like the thing I hate the most, you know, if you're in a, an abusive or a toxic relationship and you come out of it, like what was wrong with me? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it's like, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with me. There's like, there's so much, um, I mean, it's all part of our learning and growth and past like parental histories or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, getting past the shame and the guilt, I think, is such a big is such a big part of it. But it still comes back, and I think that's something that is important to recognize too. Because I'm talking now, like I'm so confident and like you know I don't have any problems with perfectionism or shame or guilt, and like that actually affects my life daily. That's something that's going to affect my life probably for the rest of my life. The yeah. I mean, I for sure, happily, confidently was that person like, it's me. Something is wrong with me. I just have the worst luck, you know, with men. And in actuality, it's not the case. I'm, you know, a pretty great person and I've been able to like learn new things about myself and grow and, you know, have more of an understanding of what I um, need. But it was a hard shift to get out of that pattern. Mm-hmm. Instead of realizing that I used to date assholes, <laughs> that also was the reason for that and somehow became magically the other woman. So much fun layers to that. Um, That's the worst. Then it was more so like, hey, I think your intuition has always been great, but you chose to overlook that. Um, you know, your happiness that you really love now, you were foregoing that for someone else's happiness and, you know, like those types of things. And so now, like if an asshole were to come around and like, mm, hello, friend. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And that's really, that's, I mean, that's a, that's a skill that you have to learn. It's yeah. not an intuitive thing. No. And I think like, I think I hear this so much from high achievers and people who are highly empathic as well. Mm-hmm. So like that combo of like high achiever plus highly empathic actually ends up landing people in this spot quite often because you don't give up and mm-hmm. you love a lot. Yes. And so you're just like extra positive about all the changes that could happen and how you are going to work super hard to make them happen. Mm. So you put all of that pressure on yourself Absolutely. to just keep going. Through there all the is, um, there's a... Um, a 2010 term for that called Aquila, because that <laughs> that was me. I was like, I could totally fix him. All he needs is this, you know, thing. Um, but the another thing you said is really important is in general, regardless if it's whatever type of relationship it is, 
we can still be very confident and evolved and have worked through the shit, but still be triggered by things. But the difference is, is like, how, how are you recovering from that trigger? Do you communicate it? Do you walk away from it? Do you give yourself time? Like, what is it so that you're still able to kind of, you know, feel whatever you want to feel, but be able to reset and say like, no, this is 2010 Aquila talking. This isn't, you know, 20... 20? Yeah, 2020 Aquila talking. I'm like, what is it? Because it's 2020. Um, yeah, I mean, because March was a whole last year, and then somehow April's flying by. And so now time is a mess for me. A sci-fi novel anyway. A sci- yeah, a sci-fi novel. So, I mean, I, I'm always, um, yeah, you're uh, so many gems that you're <laughs> you're dropping right now, because I'm, I'm thinking a lot of of myself and how, like, right now, the male relationships I have, I'm communicating oh, like absolutely hundred percent differently than I have before. And then it's like, oh, so, oh, so you want a pandemic to happen right now? And I just realized what my expectations are out of a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> I bet though, you probably don't even know it or maybe you do, but I bet you're bringing some experimental approach to your relationships more than you were. Cause this is what I feel like I do now with relationships. I get in there and I'm like, I can recognize a red flag now, like pretty quickly. And then you give that person like a few more weeks to display other red flags or not. Mm -hmm. And then you look at their behavior based on different like ways of pushing in different directions and see how they react. Mm -hmm. And that that's your, like, that's your scientific testing right there. And then you're creating, you know, you've got your little hypothesis that you're running with, and then you're coming up with, you know, a conclusion based on the evidence pretty quickly, which is something that I just didn't do before. But now I do like pretty methodically even to the point of being really meta about it of like, all right, I am going to take two weeks to see what happens here in this situation. (laughs) But, you know, it's not because it's not just on us. Like, I feel like yeah, my behavior has changed for sure. And I, I really resonated when you said um, it really depends on like how you respond to those triggers as like a growth point. Mm-hmm. It also depends on how the other person responds to your being triggered. Um, and that's one thing that like made me realize that I was in a healthy relationship was mm-hmm. when I was able to talk about those triggers and then have a trigger and act totally, absolutely batshit and mm-hmm. then have the other person actually say, I love you. I know you're going through a thing. Let me know like what I can do. And then having a total meltdown because you realize what a baby you're acting like. <laughs> and I am loved. I know. I know. But like that's not with everybody, right? And like I've had all the other relationships too when I've been triggered and reenacted on those triggers that they've come back and been like, what's wrong with you? And um, reacted really poorly too. I'm not saying everyone should have full patience with like my own PTSD because that's a whole ongoing conversation. But I think, you know, some amount of patience and being able to talk about it and grow with you is really important. Yeah, no, it's, it's so important. And I think a lot of people will put that type of growth and development and keep it in one box. So it's my dating relationships. It's my, you know, partner relationships, not realizing that, that is the same for your friendships. It's the oh. same for your working relationships. It's all the same. It's not just one place. So like me working on my vulnerability, I have to be vulnerable at work. I have to be vulnerable with my friends. I have to, you know, and the thing that you said that's super important is how that person responds. 
That also can go back to red flag. If that person responds by not talking to you, shutting down, telling you something negative, then that's not the person to work with, be around, or to be in a relationship with or love, right? That's true. But if you're not there with yourself, then you're going to be like, well, I need to prove to them that they understand why this thing bothers me. Or actually, I'm going to act as if this thing doesn't bother me. And now it's going to turn into, you know, a larger, you know, problem or issue um, down the line. Because red flags are super important. They are. And I think, like, recognizing your own red flags are so important, too, for any kind of development. And, like, what you were saying about how they show up in relationships outside of... down. Recognize your own red flag. It's true. Like, I think we don't do enough self-reflection. I think some of us have had to because we've been in therapy for whatever, like, traumatic events in our lives. Um, But I think, like, one of the major, like, challenges or blockages for people at work is not being able to reflect on their own red flags, their own ways of responding to information. And, like, I'm still working on that, too, um, for example, I still have perfectionism tendencies. I also have like a very deep fear of being seen as dumb and that mm. I don't even like, I think some of that comes from my past relationships. Some of that comes from who knows, like Probably know, some maybe academia. academia. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say like, I'm pretty sure that was actually like chiseled into my brain. Yeah. So, but, um, I think what I was trying to say is that that shows up in, in certain ways at work for me where I get triggered by, other people like questioning certain things or, or telling me that like, I need to do better on X, Y, Z, like that just sends me into a spiral. So I'm able to come back from that with the help of, you know, good managers, but also a lot of work on my own stuff. Um, But I see a lot of people not, not being able to um, deal with their own triggers, Mm -hmm. especially around things like feedback. You know, I see that coming up a lot and like managers who haven't dealt with triggers like getting feedback from their own direct reports. Mm-hmm. Um, that is like one of the biggest gaps that I see in organizations. But I don't know, I don't know um, what your particular triggers are, but I think that everybody can probably do more work on like figuring out what it is that gets them emotional that has nothing to do with their work. <laughs> nothing to do with the work. I mean, I I I know, I for sure know my triggers. Um and but it took time to know what my triggers were and um some triggers it's just like you know there's there's really nothing that could fix it all you can do is just communicate that this is a trigger and you can't talk about the thing or need to not talk about it moving forward which i get and that can go that can tie into trauma whether it was personal or in the workplace ptsd stuff like that um but figuring out my triggers is very empowering because it it allows me to to know when I need to advocate for myself or when I need to just take a break from you know something. So um, we were chatting earlier, and you know, in this world of Zoom, we have Zoom birthday parties, and I'm not a fan of them. In fact, publicly, I would like to state that my birthday is September second, and if anyone wants to put together a Zoom party for me, don't do it. I'd rather have twenty calls in the day. <laughs> opposed to 20 people on a screen pretending like we're having a conversation. Like, I despise them. But this particular one was for um, a great person. I love her dearly. But she's a mom and has kids. And then everyone else had, like, kids or some form of mom. And there was, like, a baby bump that was shown. And then, like, partners and stuff. And I was being 
heavily triggered because I was, I'm alone sheltering in place and I'm single sheltering in place and I would love to have a kid, but it's going to take more money for me to have a kid or, you know, to get partnered up and like all these other options. And it wasn't serving me. I already wasn't feeling well because I had some stuff going on with my heart. And so I just sent a, you know, I did a little high and I was there for a solid 15 minutes. And then I just, you know, typed a little message like, hey, not feeling well. Happy birthdays. And just backed out. Um, I didn't do a whole like, hey, hi, sorry to interrupt. I need to go, which other people did, which is fine. I just sent a little chat and then I moved on. Right. Oh, that's very healthy. It's incredibly healthy. Um, also, and good job being vulnerable about that particular instance. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I tell my therapist all the time that I'm vulnerable, but she's like, yeah, but then, um, so when's the last time you had, you know, you've received groceries? And I'm like, hmm, touche. Um, <laughs> oh, God, no. I mean, I'm better. I'm better at it. I've had three friends drop off groceries. Some of the fact that I know that there's three people tells you, and I've been here for 49 days. <laughs> tells you how many times I've had groceries delivered once there's supposed to be a grocery delivery hopefully today um but um uh, yeah no I'm I'm working on being more vulnerable but I'm also realizing like that was like a, a lightweight trigger that was happening for me mm -hmm. I'm better off watching whatever the hell I want to watch you know um and not feeling bad you know for being yeah. in um that type of situation so you know, it's a, it's a lot. And, yeah, and then the other thing that comes up, we're like, and, you know, we're supposed to be in this period of self-reflection, you know, <laughs> as we're all at home and figuring out our lives. And to a certain extent, sure. But to the fullest extent, fuck it, do whatever you want, you know? So. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I'm also just like, feel your emotions. And like, I think we should probably all be making room for outbursts and partner outbursts and family outbursts and just like realizing that nobody's their best selves right now for like a good reason. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've muted several people confidently on social media. I'm like, look, I know you're not being your best self right now. So maybe in a few months I'll circle back and see how things are, are going. Um, mm -hmm. But anyone who is buying a gun because of the pandemic, I've unfollowed. I was like, yeah, I, think I don't, I don't think I have seen that. that on my social media, but I have like fully gotten off certain types of social media. Okay. I am basically not on Facebook now. Uh, there's just so much political ranting and I have enough of that in my head. Like I have voices constantly that are politically mm -hmm. ranting. Mm -hmm. Speaking and of a political <laughs> rant though, I do have one political question yes. for you. That's fine. I feel like as long as it's in a controlled format, I'm fine. I just okay. don't want to absorb it passively from my social media. I mean, I think which is like supposed it. to be pictures of bread and kittens. Or or penguins. Penguins, I love the penguins that are just uh -oh. like walking around the Chicago aquarium. <laughs> They're super cute. I just I like, like the animal friends, the animals that are friends with other animals. Oh, I can't. I'm like, how did they ever become friends? And why doesn't one eat the other? Like, what's happening? I don't know, but it's magical. <laughs> magical. Um, so how do you feel about all the the news that you may have seen around health disparities? I mean, they're all the health disparities is a serious problem around, you know, COVID-19. Do you feel like that's going to have any impact on the work that we do, you know, in the diversity space? Um, 
What are your thoughts? I do. I mean, I thought you were going to say Biden for a minute and I've been like pointedly not looking at the news today because I keep seeing things pop up on Instagram that are about sexual harassment and Biden. And I'm just like, I can't deal. I can't deal with this. I'm voting for anyone but on Twitter. So Um, I also like health disparities are pretty freaking bad too. And those have been popping up for good reason. And I think like, yeah, we obviously see that there are huge disparities for communities of color and for like people who have live in redlined areas of the states. And it's freaking Georgia. I I can't. I mean, there's other states I can't with, but for me, Georgia is the perfect example of why we're employed. Yep. <laughs> yep. you know, we, we will never be out of a job that is the one good thing about diversity equity inclusion but it's also a bad thing because yeah yeah <laughs> someone posted on something for someone I follow in the diversity space this is not helpful but the the whole the moral of the story is someone's comment was I look forward to the day a white woman I look forward to the day where you know we don't see anything but how amazing and unique we all are and how we come together and I'm just like part of me was like I should probably say something and then the other part of me is like I'm not getting paid for this yeah no I didn't I didn't at all but it's just like if if that were to happen it's for sure not going to be in our lifetime no Especially, especially not now where those kind of inequities are like, I think at this, on one side, it's like, there's a, there's a glaring light shining on them now in a way that maybe there wasn't Mm -hmm. before, or there wasn't at least from a, a very obvious perspective. I think like communities of color for a long time have been trying to point to this glaring inequity. And then everyone's like, what are you talking about? I don't see it. And now, and now it's like, wait, this is all starting to unfurl, though I doubt people are actually going to recognize a lot of it. I think mm-hmm. we even we even hear that in a lot of the narrative of like, mm-hmm. oh, it's because Black people have underlying conditions. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's because there's less <laughs> access to healthcare. I want to get like, into the yeah, structural part just, or the simple fact that... The, the structural racism part yeah. of... Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I think like getting from A to B is hard enough for folks. So we'll stick with... You want to talk about a food desert? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Like, okay, at least you can see that there's like, there's a, there's a gap here. There's a gap mm-hmm. that's happening, but um, I can't remember what I was saying. <laughs> no, I mean, because there's, there's an endless amount of things that come up from health disparities. I'm, I'm and and coronavirus. I'm hoping that the conversation will change after there's a vaccine. I'm sure the way the vaccine will be administered will be horrific, but um Right. Like, this is your wheelhouse, given your background with oh, yeah. like, Thanks. health stuff. I mean, I like I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just seeing it from, like, a perspective that, you know, from my own perspective. I don't, I don't know if I'm informed about health disparities enough historically to comment on it, but you are. So I want to hear your thoughts on, like, you know, why, why, like, why after a vaccine do you think the conversation will change? Um, because white people will be affected. How so? Um, because, uh, when it comes to access, right, what we're already seeing now, this before the vaccine, people who are insured are having a hard time getting access to a test, right? And that is just an example of accessibility of health, 
like a health service. So because more white people are being affected, they're going to end up with huge medical bills. Um, they're also, you know, being affected by how they are able to um, make money. Some people have lost jobs. Now you, some people are having a lived experience that is very similar to how black and brown people have been living. I mean, white people too, but, you know, low income lowest low-income white people, but how black and brown people, marginalized people have been living in America, right? So because of that, I think that perspective um, and personal experience will change the influence and that whole power and privilege dynamic with people who work in insurance companies with some politicians, not all, not, you know, of course, all of them, with some of them. But I feel like I'm hoping there's some form of advocacy for, you know, health care that is more of a unified front. Yeah. Um, so, and I don't know who's going to start. I'm sure it's going to be what we always know, which is like a black woman's going to start it. And then some white person's <laughs> going to tweet something and then I'll go to the white woman or whatever. But um, I do hope that that part happens. You're probably right. I mean, given like the way that history has panned out with large scale policy, national changes mm-hmm. that, you know, if it affects a community in power, then it is more likely to be changed on a, uh, in a political way. Mm-hmm. But I still think that the same issues, the same problems are going to come up or be exacerbated in certain ways because like which part of that policy will change? It might, it might be like right. access to certain types of healthcare, right. but like which communities actually get that right. access mm-hmm. and which ones, you know, have the time, space, energy, and money to apply for it. And, you know, all this stuff just gets perpetuated mm-hmm. or, or it just could end up like the feminist movement where like women's rights are advanced for certain women, but like there's an intersectional approach. The truth of the matter is you are right. That will also keep us employed. Um, You know, so there's that fun fact there, but I I hope there is some type of shift or momentum. If there isn't, it's getting to the humanity part, right? This is an example of how like universal healthcare would actually be a good thing because it wouldn't be like one medical deciding to do testing on their own with their own budget. No, I do think you're right there. And I think like, I think the question of like, when will Americans realize that universal access to healthcare is important? It was going to be through a pandemic that doesn't discriminate. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. So, you know, people are losing loved ones, which we absolutely know, but people who are insured are still getting big bills. You know, if they, um, received any care for inconvenience. Right. And then people are going to be underinsured. Um, and then those who aren't insured, that's all, that's a whole, that's a whole other thing, but it's just so many things are showing. So many things are happening with the government that makes us all know that these things are possible. Even reparations are actually possible. If you can come up with two stimulus packages and bail people out, reparations could have happened for Black people. Yeah, right? we're seeing a lot of this right. stuff could have happened now that it's happening right. on such a fast scale. Right. They're printing, you know, they're printing money. If, as of, I don't know, I don't know what it is now, but as of last week, 22.5 million people um, are 
um, unemployed. So that means these are individuals who cannot afford their COBRA because they don't have money. It's not like, you know, they are taking some time off in between the job that's going to start in three months or whatever. They don't, mm-hmm. that's not happening. And COBRAs are expensive because in health insurance is ridiculous. These individuals are moving to Medicaid, Medi-Cal, Medicare. So you have a huge, potential huge influx of people who are going to essentially be piloting um, universal health care beyond what happened with health reform. And so we can see that it's going to work. The problem is greed, right? And that's evident with the Lakers getting $4.6 million, Shake Shack getting 10, um, you know, Harvard getting yeah. seven, like all of these other things that we're seeing where there's an equity and support for small businesses. I don't know how the fuck the Lakers organization is a small business or Shake Shack. I, I don't even know that, that that's infuriating. You didn't know that? I, I didn't know that the Lakers, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> Congratulations. The Lakers received $4.6 million with the small business relief fund that came out from the government. They were shamed into returning it. Shake Shack also returned it too. I don't know if Harvard has, but um, the moral of the story is <laughs> wow. for $4.6 million, if we think about your average small business and being um, able to be okay to keep, you know, um, a certain percentage of your staff and pay rent or your lease or whatever, mm-hmm. or your mortgage, um, let's say on average, they need about $30,000 for a few months. $30,000 is divisible a lot by 4.6 million. I'm not good at math, so I can't tell you what that is, but it's divisible. <laughs> and a lot of businesses could have been funded as a result. The Lakers, you know, on payroll, there's someone named LeBron James that makes like 40 plus million a year. Right? Yeah, it's infuriating, right? And so these inequities that we're seeing with small businesses, we know small businesses are owned by, you know, um uh, people of color, potentially marginalized people, low and in- limited income, dual income family, like regular ass Americans <laughs> have yeah. small businesses. Small businesses can go up to $2.5 million, but they're usually not selling out arenas and stadiums. Yep. Right. So, um, yeah. So that's why like this whole thing is fascinating to me from like a health perspective. I'm sure there's fascinating components from a researcher perspective, but how we're seeing clear inequities, how we're seeing very public and very unhealthy um, racial uh, stereotyping yeah. of people, you know, and how that is tied to either spreading the disease, recovering from the disease, dying from not disease virus. Oof, dying from the virus, right? So um, anyway, that's yeah. my my rant on that. I just have to ask oh, you, though, um, <laughs> that we've gone down that slightly negative path. How do you celebrate the little wins? <laughs> Good transition there. <laughs> Everything is fucked. Wait, but how do you celebrate the little wins? <laughs> um, the little wins. Great question. Um, well, first of all, I think it's really important to celebrate the little wins and I probably don't do it enough. My first step is really to like, just, you know, celebrate with myself on my own for a minute. I feel like I always look for, you know, outside validation. That's another one of my, you know, growth areas is I need outside validation to know that they're wins. 
And so I've been working more on actually recognizing those for myself and just like holding them for myself for a little while without needing that external validation. And then I go and tell my partner and then he makes me feel really good about it. Uh, you are the quarantine couple of 2020 uh yeah but i mean recently recently my little wins have been super little because they've been like did you put on real clothes today yes i did mine is did you put on deodorant today (laughs) yeah sometimes it's no but if i did i'm like oh you did it you smell fresh yeah (laughs) yeah it's like for you know i've been trying to exercise a little bit like do yoga or do something that wiggles my body um so that i don't get stuck in one shape for the rest of my life (laughs) you know that when they told you if you made a grimace your face would stick like that and i'm pretty sure my body will do that from being in a chair all day (laughs) i'm today well this this is the second attempt of me to um have set times to get rid of my corona calories oh those are real i okay so one of so i have a very different personality from my partner mine like the way that i respond to stress is to get into bed cover myself with the covers Mm -hmm. and either like watch 18 episodes of something in a row uh, play a game or just like go to sleep his Mm -hmm. is putting things in mason jars and finding projects all around the house (laughs) to like to tidy up like our house is clean every day and our and there's like so many little projects happening and so we just deal with stress in very different ways mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so um you know like the I can't remember where I was going with this. I think it's around celebrating the little wins but what I'm getting from it is how you both are effectively communicating, right? Because we're in like a straight up stressful time. Mine is a combination of like, I should probably continue to organize this closet that I'm in, which I have a stack that I'm going to like ship out to donate, which I'm very excited about to no, I don't want to do this right now. I cannot function. I'm going to watch endless amounts of TV. Yeah, sometimes your brain just needs that. Although I do remember what I was going to say. And it was the calories thing. Like, I'm not actually a really calorie conscious person, but one of of my partner's projects has been taking on sourdough bread baking, and then it turned into everything else baking. And so I've just been eating baked goods for like, eight weeks or however long we've been in this house and I had to have a like come to Jesus moment (laughs) last night in full vulnerability like I sat down and I was like I cannot if I keep eating like this I'm gonna die like I'm just gonna (laughs) I'm gonna die in this bed like I'm just gonna die covered in sourdough bread like that's gonna be oh gosh I (laughs) I made cupcakes because that's what I was supposed to do not made them from a box. Anyway, there's 24 of them. <laughs> so I was like, wait, it's just me. Um, oh, no. I can see where the story is going. Well, good news is I did not eat all of them. I, like, I threw a good portion away. Like, I felt bad about throwing them away. But I was like, mm, no. But yeah. um, then I ordered it, more, so. Well, I think it's, it's okay. So two things here. A, I think it's important to be like healthy, whatever your version of healthy is. Yes. And like for me, like eating loads of, of sourdough actually makes me feel super unhealthy and I feel bloated and disgusting. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> Butter. But <laughs> on the other hand, like we're in a we're in a 
like quarantine pandemic apocalypse world and like punishing ourselves for eating baked goods is also not healthy. So it's not. And I think the most important thing is like doing what is going to bring you joy in the moment and feeling all the feels like feel sad, feel very under the blanket, um, feel like super creative or not. And um, just lead from a place of like compassion. And that's true. Which, which, Which also brings up something that I feel like I've been talking about with my colleagues a lot recently, which is how to manage the feelings of guilt around feeling simultaneously super privileged and also feeling like upset, depressed, um, and you know, like a victim in all of this. And I think that's something that probably a lot of us feel like the privilege of having an apartment and like having a job or having friends or having parents or having people that are not sick in our lives and yeah. also having those emotions around frustration and sadness um, and grieving for that. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, my business is um, going to make it with with some sacrifices and but it, it will make it. And I'm like, this is great. And then I'll think about my friends and peers that also have a business that, you know, have to apply for additional loans or apply for unemployment. And so I have mixed feelings about that. So how I've been handling it is spreading a love where I can. So I'm shopping from, um, you know, my friends' businesses that are trying to keep the lights on, right? As much as I can, I'm partnering with other um, small businesses where I can to bring them in on some of the contracts that I've been fortunate enough to have. So, you know, I, I, I think, again, that goes back into spinning. Like, we don't want to stay so into the, the negative. Feel it, whether it is a day or two, you know, but finding ways to get back to celebrating the little wins. And challenge and, and channeling those challenge, channeling those feelings into something that help maybe helps people or yourself is mm-hmm. not always required, but I think can be helpful in certain ways. I like you said, like Absolutely. even if it's those little wins might be buying groceries from your local corner store instead of right, or sending someone a card that you made, you know, or reposting something that your friend's doing. Like maybe you can't afford this thing, but you see that this really cool restaurant that you would like to go to is doing takeout. Like there's ways to do stuff within the current state of things, whether the current state is, I don't have money to spend this week, but I will next week or in when this is over or whatever the thing may be and really being okay with it. But so what I have to say is, um, they're like, I get so lucky because I get to interview people that just drop endless amounts of gems and there's endless amounts, particularly around these, uh, red flags and triggers. You know, these are my favorite things. So, um, I look forward to making sure that one, people can stay in contact with you. So how, it, how can people find you? What's a way that you would like people to find you? I am available on Twitter at L Jampol, L-J-A-M-P-O-L. And I am available um, in terms of social social media on LinkedIn. So if you search my full name, Lily Jampol, there aren't very many other Lily Jampols in the world. So I should come up. And then I work at the, at the Ready Set Inc. So um, again, we're a diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting firm. And my email is lily at the readyset.co. And so I can be found there as well. That's awesome. I'm also going to follow you on 
Twitter if I don't already. I'm awesome. Like, I'm, I'm like trying to be more active. I am being more active there. I'm also um, trying to be more active and I'm trying to get out of just, I'm, I'm trying to move away from just posting like research articles into actually having my own thoughts and opinions because I feel like I'm still, and I'm still getting out of that. You're trying, you're doing. <laughs> I am, yes. Mm-hmm. I am experimenting slowly yes. in that direction. But on, on Twitter, I'm mostly like, I've, I'm still probably primarily elevating other people's research voices. Um, but I love posting about new stuff that's happening. And um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of important people to follow out there too. Oh, um, yeah. Other folks like my CEO, Yvonne Hutchinson is an amazing person to follow too. She actually does post a lot on Twitter as well. And um, I will also follow you if I'm not already. Yeah. We'll make sure that, that happens. Well, the second thing I want to say is, Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Like, I appreciate it. And um, to you and everyone listening, keeping amazing. Thanks for listening to the Change Today podcast. You can learn more at changekaday.com. That's the word change and today, like cadet, C-A-D-E-T, or follow Change Today or at Change Today podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, comment, and share. I'm a black business, y'all, and I appreciate it. Thanks for listening.